Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. I did it. Is that loud enough? You think? I, I didn't want to spill my coffee. Yeah, you were really drink. gentle as soon as yeah. you hit the table. I realized halfway through <laughs> the, the fall I didn't want to spill our drink, so there we go. There, that was a good one. We'll definitely catch that. That was the sound of 700 plus pages hitting the table. Was it 700 plus? It was at least 650. That's where I, where yeah, I opened it to. Yeah, 759, 771, oh almost 800 pages of a book. That has nothing to do with today's episode, but I'm so proud of myself. I finished uh, reading a book. Well, Woo! half reading, half listening. It still counts. <laughs> it was Jona- Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and now I'm watching the miniseries that BBC did on on BBC on TV. So I'm watching that. It's pretty good. I have to explain a lot of stuff to my wife because she doesn't actually understand what's happening. I'm like, (laughs) in the books, they did this instead of this, of course. Oh, finally, you read the book before seeing the the TV show or the movie. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. I'm a true fan. You're feeling pretty pleased with yourself, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to do a YouTube video. I'm going to be a booktuber now. I'm going to, it's going to be official. It's going to be a picture of me holding the book going... You can't, because no, your podcast, nobody can you can't see. the see. face that Tyler made except for me. And yeah, it was Hannah something. knows. It was hilarious. It, it was a great face. And I did do something funny. So uh, <laughs> welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Uh, obviously, I'm Tyler, not Hannah. I'm Hannah. And not you're Tyler. Hannah, not Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a lot of caffeine this morning, or at least I have. Yeah. So this is, you're like jazzed. You're I, like, let's talk I some sparks. so jazzed. We are talking about Nicholas Sparks today. Yeah, Nikki uh, Sparks. Yeah, and if y'all are men and don't know who that is. Uh, men know who Nicholas Sparks <laughs> okay, is. Okay, if y'all are single men who have never had a girl Nicholas, make you watch Nicholas the Nicholas Sparks is on the same level as a colonoscopy. We don't know it's, <laughs> we don't want it to happen, but we know one day it's we're going to be forced to do it. So... We know about Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> but we did not know that much about Nicholas Sparks. Because I got in, I've seen like a decent number of his movies, read a couple books. I did not know shit about his life, actually. Sure, sure. I had like all these preconceived notions and I was wrong about everything. I thought he was an old guy who wrote love books um, that I would never, ever, ever read. Turns out he's not an old guy who writes love books that I will never, ever read. so tyler was half wrong yeah i read one of his books and it was pretty good but it wasn't because it was a lovey-dovey book well okay so tyler and i both read three weeks with my brother which is like sort of a, a memoir mixed with him writing about this trip he took around the world with his brother yeah uh it is sort of like a love story but to his siblings yeah, and I mean, he does talk about his wife and stuff, so there's a little bit of a love story, but it's the appropriate amount of love story for a guy. <laughs> for a guy. <laughs> Any amount of love story is the appropriate amount of love story for a man. Yeah, so we did, we read uh, three, three Weeks with My Brother, which also had parts written by his brother, Micah, um, and it was, uh, it was a good book. I 
I didn't actually even get to finish it because I've just been so incredibly busy at work. And, um, and I, in that, it didn't talk about his writing process all that much, which I, I talked about earlier off mic kind of bothered me because that's what I like to read about. When I read the on writing by Stephen King, he kind of split it up between a memoir and his writing process. And that changed my life. I loved it so much. But in in this story, he <laughs> Sparks is just like, yeah, and then I got published and, you know, got a million dollars. And, and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. Tell us what? your secrets, sir. <laughs> yeah. Hold up. Back up. Stop hoarding so, all that knowledge. So, yeah. So I was I was a little disappointed with it just because I didn't get into the stuff that I wanted to know about. But I did get to learn a lot about a guy that I didn't think I'd ever care about. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to make you care about this guy, too. Make me care, Hannah. So okay. Oh, wait. you. I already care. You, you already care. Yeah. I'm making you guys out yeah, there in the, the listener sphere. Gotcha. Yes, you're going to care. So Nicholas Sparks is not old. He was born <laughs> December 31st, 1965 in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, the middle of three children. And they were all born super close together. Yeah. So his brother was born December 1st of the previous year. Yep. His sister, Dana, who's younger than him, has his same birthday. Yeah, December 31st. Of the next year. So they're all very close in age and grew up very close together. Because, they shared a bedroom for basically yes. their entire life. Yep. Basically until high school when yeah. when Dana got her own room because she's yeah because she's a girl. God, that annoyed the <laughs> shit out of me. So they had kind of like weird parents. Uh, yeah, and they, they were. I don't know. Maybe I'm just coming from my privileged middle class uh, position there. But like his his dad was super hands off their whole childhood. Yeah, uh, he described him as like irrelevant yeah. for most in their, of until they were high school. Yeah, um, and their mom, it's like. He kind of went back and forth. Like, she tried her best, but also, like, they were on their own. And yeah, Micah... Yeah, she didn't give a shit, but she loved him more than anything. Yeah. It's so weird. So, like, Micah basically raised his siblings, who were one and two years younger than him. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, the uh, the one story of them running away. Were you going to talk about that? Were they, were like, they hopping across a, the yeah, highway? Yeah. So, they're, they're four, three, and two years old. Micah was told by his mother, the most important thing, all you have to do in life is take care of your brother and sister. Micah's the oldest. He has to take care of him. Nicholas, he was told, do what your brother says. Follow your brother, right? Listen to your brother. So when Micah gets mad at the parents and goes, we're running away, Nicholas goes with him. <laughs> and they take their sister, uh, Dana? Dana? Dana. Dana. Yeah. Um, and... And they they go, they want to go to the nearest town because they live out in the middle of nowhere. But in order to do that, they have to cross a highway, a freeway, a friggin' freeway. Many lanes. Yes. And so uh, he talks about how he stood there at the side of the road and they're watching these cars going by 65, 70 miles an hour. And then when he says go, they all just started running as quick as they could and they finally made it across. And then as they were just about to get to town, the mom finds them and is like, what the hell? <laughs> like, no. And she has her fly swatter in hand as she's chasing them because that's how they would spank them is with the, with the fly swatter. Micah at one point was like, no, he's never going to swap me again. 
and uh and so the dad goes to swat him and then he literally runs out the house and like hides underneath the ground or something yeah and so yeah it was it's crazy they had a crazy childhood and they were young like this isn't eight years old this wasn't an eight-year-old michael this was five years old four years old yeah taking his three and two-year-old siblings to run away yeah so yeah it, it was crazy so they grew up very, very poor. Yeah. Uh, his uh, Nicholas Sparks's dad was like a graduate student student for much of his childhood, so not making any money. Yeah. Uh, his mom was stay at home for a while, and then eventually started working for like an optometrist or something. Um. So they had like no money for anything. They never got presents unless it was Christmas, and even yeah. then it was sometimes like used stuff or yeah or like tools yeah when they were older (laughs) and they were like oh we can use these kids for labor and so for christmas they (laughs) They wouldn't get they didn't get toys or anything they got tools so that they could do more labor around the house yeah it was crazy and like when they got injured and stuff they never went to the doctor right like Like the time he got hit in the head with that the thing at his grandpa's house yeah his grandpa just hosed him down and then put him back up on the put roof to do to work. more work. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, they, it was crazy. So they moved to um, California when they were still relatively young and lived in a couple neighborhoods there. The one that stood out to me was Inglewood because that's where my mom is from. And, and she's, like, she's, about the same age as Nicholas Sparks. You said that she's- She's the born the same year. Same year. So, and, and Nicholas Sparks, Micah Sparks, they're running around causing trouble- so your mom probably saw him at some she point. She probably did. She was like, damn, those Sparks those boys. Those Sparks <laughs> boys are at it again. Well, Inglewood <laughs> was like a really bad neighborhood, too. That's the one where um, I don't think Nicholas um, had to do busing because it was like when they were trying to inter- integrate the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about how his older brother, Micah, would have to walk like a mile to the bus stop. Yeah. And it was a rough neighborhood. So like these girls would try yeah. to like mug him for his mu- lunch money or whatever. And the mom, instead of like doing anything proactive about it she was like okay here's what you do take your lunchbox and you whack the girls with it yeah and he did yeah when he goes to sit down he's like mom these girls say they're gonna beat me up really bad if i don't give them a quarter every day for lunch his mom rather than giving him money or going and taking care of it herself she just walks to the back room comes back with a metal lunchbox and goes here you go when they come you attack (laughs) and he did and they left him alone it worked and i'm like huh Parent lesson learned for me. <laughs> right? I don't think I would try that in the, you know, 2020s. No? <laughs> you don't think giving your child a weapon and going to school is a good idea nowadays? No. So the sibling dynamic I thought was super interesting between all of them. Like, Micah was very much the troublemaker, uh, very confident. Mm-hmm. Nicholas was more like, very much more reserved, didn't yeah. make friends as easily. Uh, way better at school. And then Dana, the baby sister, she was like spoiled by their parents. Yeah. But they oh, yeah. always described her as being like the nicest person. She's yeah. like the glue that held her brothers together. Because even though in the memoir that we're reading, like the brothers are going on this round the world trip, they were not super close or they were close they were in like a close, sibling yeah. way, but they fought. Like Micah was super mean to his brother for like elementary school until early high school. Basically. Yeah, I think basically from the time that Nicholas Sparks was in fifth grade until he was a sophomore in high school, he and his brother were not close. Yeah, they to like- the point where like they actively fought each other, and the mom had to sit them down. And every night she'd ask, "Okay, what are three things that Micah? Yeah, did what for you. that your brother did for you that was good?" And they got to a point where. They were getting tired of making stuff up because it took more effort that they actually started looking for good things that the, each other were doing so that they'd have an answer at night. 
Like, that's so fun. Like, their laziness is what made them better people. That's actually a good parenting tactic, though. Like, it that's is. That's one to remember. If, if your kids aren't getting along, force them to say three nice things that their siblings did every I'm, day. I'm not going to lie. I, I gained a lot of uh, insight into some parenting through this book for, like, for the way that the mom treated the kids, the dad treated the kids, and even how Nicholas treated his own kids, having to go deal with with Ryan and all of that, um, I was I was really like, these are some really interesting ideas and things that that they did. The lunchbox one is a little <laughs> extreme, yeah, because it's so much. Like, I remember when I was a kid. I had a <clears throat> I had a, a bully on the street that that we lived on and lived on in Pittsburgh, and we were playing basketball, but we lived on a hill. So if you missed your shot and it hit, and nobody could catch it. It would roll down the hill, and if you missed your shot, you were responsible for going and getting the ball. But if you made the shot, someone from the other team had to go and get it. It was like a you know like a a rule that we made up. Well, this bully kid he missed his shot, and then he like was trying to make me go get it. And I was like, no, I don't. You missed it. And he's like, well, if you don't go get it, you don't get your bike back. So we went and sat on my bike. So then I he was probably like three years older than me. So and but me and my brothers and my dad would always wrestle like that's what we did. So I learned how to wrestle him off and I threw him off my bike and I sat on him and cried (laughs) because I don't like fighting. Like I just hate fighting so much. So I just sat on him and cried and he couldn't breathe while I'm crying. So then I jump on my bike and ride home. And as I'm crying, my dad sees me and he's like, what's wrong? And I told him. So he loads me up, drives me down and he gets out of the car. He's like, if you ever touch my son again, (laughs) like your, your parents won't find you or some shit like that. Like just the most terrifying thing you can say to a child <laughs> this kid's like 12 years old and he's threatening his life because he made me cry like that's what my dad he was would probably do already terrified enough like can you imagine right. someone sitting on yeah. you and crying and then the dad goes down like don't you ever do anything to him again <laughs> oh my god yeah so so then yeah so that kid never bothered me again i'm shocked yeah uh that's how my dad would handle it. He he didn't just give me a lunchbox and be like, oh, you know what? Just go beat the shit out of him again. <laughs> the other thing that we thought was crazy about this was, like, how violent they were as children. Yeah. They, like, their parents at one point did get them BB guns. Which right. Are, which nice present, look, I guess. Read the room. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> and they took him out and they, like... Would shoot younger kids yeah. with them or shoot each other with them. At one point, Micah, having no friends around because they were either at school or whatever, he went and got a bunch of first graders to all hang out with him and say, okay, I want you to bend over and pull the pants, your your pant, pant cups out so that they're stretched out. I'm going to practice shooting. So they're bent over in front of him. He doesn't shoot for the legs. He shoots their butts. <laughs> And the sheriff at that point gets called and takes away his gun. And then came back the next day for Nicholas's for gun. For Nicholas's gun, yeah. And then after that, their parents get them a bow and arrow. Yeah, and almost and they almost kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, so they took it and Micah was like shooting it at this construction site and one of the workers got like pissed at them and was like, Hey, don't do that again. And then Micah was like, I'm gonna do that again because you yelled at me. Yeah. And they almost hit the dude. Yeah. So they take off running and like the construction dude like chases them down in their truck or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, these kids were monsters. <laughs> they were they were rebel rousers, yeah. man. They didn't uh they didn't listen to the rules. 
And when it got to the point where um, their parents started buying them the tools, Micah, like, cutting oh, the... Yeah. He cut, like, a hole in the floorboard or whatever so mm-hmm. he could sneak out in high school yep. through the floor. Yep. So kind of ingenious, but also terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they had the, this this crazy childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when they get to high school... Um, so Micah was like super popular. Yeah. Always doing stuff. Yep. Uh, Nick was feeling like kind of left out. He ended up getting really into track and field. Um, and as part of that, he, uh, he knew of Billy Mills, who was this, um, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, he won in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics and I guess like lived locally this was Fair Oaks we yeah, were living in by so. then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he like idolized this guy and then found out that like his mom knew him or something. Yeah. She's just like off the cuff, like, oh, story. he comes into the optometrist's <laughs> office all the time. And he's him like, and his what? Wife are the nicest people. What? <laughs> he still didn't like talk to him after that for a while, but yeah. he would always like, I, I think that really put pushed him to try harder at track and also there was like an upperclassman who was like really supportive of him. Yeah. He was like, Hey, I've been watching you run, you're good, you could be great. Yeah. And like inspiring him. So he he worked really hard at that. Which I know I know what that feeling's like, just a uh, small tangent. Like having have idolizing someone for like not being like, oh my God, they're so great. But just knowing like this person's really good and you notice them a lot. Um and but you don't have like the confidence to really talk to them much. I know how what that's like. Um and even now, like in my job, like I, I work with a guy who he's a really he's a really cool guy. And when I first met him, I was like, oh, he's too cool for me. I'm not going to ever hang out with him. And just like with Nicholas Sparks, you know, that guy ended up coming to Nick and being like, hey, you're really good. And then they became really good friends. Um, now I'm working with that guy directly in my life. And he's super supportive and he listens to our show and he's like, he's one of the nicest guys ever. And I'm like, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> Why do you like me at all? All right, I'll go with this. I'll see where this goes. But I totally get that. Just that I that weird thing that happens in life where you can you can think someone not to sound like it's dating or something, but like out of your league as far as friends go. But then they come to you and it boosts your confidence and your ability as a person. That's, right. It happens. Well, uh, Billy Mills ended up being in his league because yeah. I think when he was a sophomore, he started dating Mills's daughter, Lisa, yep. and they dated for like four years. So yep. he got to not only meet his idol, but he was like friends with his idol. Yeah, they'd have dinner with him all the time. And even Lisa, after they broke up, spoiler alert, after they broke up and he was getting married to someone else, she would say, um, you were the one that, what was it? it you're the ex-boyfriend that never went away. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not that she lost him. He's just always around or some shit like that. So, right. So they had a relationship even after they broke up. Exactly. Um, and then through running, he kind of like reconnected with Micah too. Yeah. I think it was the after the summer of his freshman year or something. Like I said, I think it's yeah. the sophomore year. Sophomore year. He yeah. got Micah to join cross country with him, which was good for his brother too because it kind of gave him like um, a, a schedule, like something to keep yeah. him out of trouble. He, he worked really hard at it because mm-hmm. he liked winning. Yeah, <laughs> um, And exactly. they were doing really well. And it brought them both together. Even, and it was the one thing where Nicholas felt like he was better than his brother at something finally. Well, and it's not even that he thought. Like, he was winning. He was better, yeah. He was better. Micah was good at it, but, like, <laughs> Nicholas 
like trained really hard and, yeah. and did great. So I think that was probably good for their relationship too. But even then, like you're starting to see a lot of his personality coming through that where um, where Micah has a lot of natural talent for things and he's really good with people naturally. Nicholas is really good at um, focusing in on something and really getting good at it. And you're, this is the first time I think you really start to see that in his life and what will pay off later on in his life through what we're going to talk yeah. about, his books. He's really good at focusing in and doing it to perfection. Um, and we'll, there's a little bit of foreshadowing, but to a point where it's devastating. Right. Very, very diligent. Yeah. Um, so he ended up also being very diligent <clears throat> in school, graduated class valedictorian. Yeah. Before we move on to college, though. I thought it was so sweet the part where um, Dana didn't get invited yep, to, to home prom. Co- or pro- prom, um, and she felt like so sad about it because her best friend got invited. So Nicholas finally goes, and he's like pretty popular by the end of high school. He's like, you know what? All of your friends think I'm cool, so I'm gonna take you to prom, and we're gonna show them like a really good time. And it turned out that Micah the day before had also asked, asked to her, take her yeah. to prom, and I was just like, those are the best brothers ever. Seriously, that was a that was a cool move. I was. Um, weird Cameron our producer is rubbing Ryan Reynolds face (laughs) on our screensaver but it was the way he was writing it I was expecting to go a different direction to be completely honest really super super random you know I'm just used to twists and turns especially in 2020 the way that stories generally go nowadays Um, you have uh, a girl who's going through high school and her best she and her friend are best friends and then her best friend gets a boyfriend like i've seen this story played out generally the way that i see it go that girl is usually a lesbian and is figuring out that she's in love with her best friend so i was as i'm reading this story he's like you know yeah my best friend whatever her name is she got asked to the prom and he's like, oh, well, that's great. And then I see that she's sad about it. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be a lesbian. Because that's what the twist is always nowadays is she's sad that her friend is going to prom with a guy because now she can't go to prom with her best friend because she's in love with her best friend. In the 70s. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but like, but it's just interesting. I just, it's not, it's not a commentary on anything. It, I was legitimately the whole time I'm listening to it at work, this part, I'm like, oh, she's a lesbian. Oh, she's going to be a lesbian. Oh, she's, he's going to find out that she's a lesbian here. Literally the whole time. And then it was just like, no, they're just really sweet bu- brothers <laughs> who she didn't get asked out and they're going to help her out. And that's, that's it. That's the whole thing. And I was like, man, it's just weird how different things time, are. Now. Yeah. If you were to write that story today, guaranteed the author would make her be a lesbian. I'm sorry, uh. Nicholas Sparks's memoir didn't have enough plot twists for you. Yeah, try to update your memoir, yeah, Nikki. Get with the times, Nikki. It's 2020. Your sister can be. No, I'm not going to say Dana that. Dana ended up just staying staying home that night anyway. But yeah, it was still. I thought it was super. But they nice. are. I don't they're... have brothers, so this was kind of interesting for me. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Not all brothers are like that. My brothers didn't ask me to prom at all. Oh, I know. Here's looking at you, younger brother who couldn't Cameron. have gone to the prom anyway. Should have asked me to prom, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is 2020. So. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That would be great. All right. Moving on. So um, Nicholas ends up getting a track scholarship to University of Notre Dame. 
and I mean, I he didn't go too much into his college time. Uh, Not really, yeah. other than his track. Other than career. track, and uh, he ended up injuring his Achilles tendon toward the end of freshman year. Yeah, and then he went through this pattern of like trying to to like heal up and then re-injuring it and stuff like that. So that first summer his doctor told him not to run at all. Yeah. So he was like moping around the house. Uh, I don't think any of his friends were, were around that summer. Micah was no, off, all off doing, doing adventuring. Yeah. Um, and his mom was like, you got to find something to do. And she told him, write a book. Well, that wasn't her first <laughs> suggestion. She, she gave him other suggestions too. First, first she said, you should paint the house. <laughs> she was always about getting him to do work around the house which is such a mom thing to do with her sons me and cameron have to deal with that with our mom all the time anytime we come over can you help me out with this it's like yeah i guess i mean that's why i'm here right you know who didn't have to paint the house dana because she's She's a girl girl. yeah she also she also got a birthday party that was super sad to me maybe it's because i always feel annoyed at like not having my own birthday sometimes because i generally like me and my cousin are, are born close enough or like my sister-in-law is born the day after I was born 36 hours later, right? Literally she and I are 36 hours uh, apart. So like a lot of, and then my birthday is always generally on mother's day. So like, mm. so I always kind of contend with other people and I always, I always get that kind of victim mentality during my birthday. I try, I've been trying <laughs> not to a lot more, but uh, it happens. And so for when he's talking about like, yeah, when we were younger, when we were kids, I didn't get birthday parties because we were too poor. But my sister, who was born on the same day as me, she got a birthday party. We <laughs> would have birthday bullshit. parties for her. Um, and yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> Even my parents aren't that bad. Like yeah, they'd be like, yeah, here, this party's for both of you guys. Like we're doing a party. We might as well do it for the both of you. Oh man. And then like Dana would come in in the morning before everybody would come over for festivities and she'd, you know, like sing happy birthday to her brother. She, she saw that he was struggling with that. So she kind of addressed it. And I think that just shows how close that they were. Yes. Like, these three siblings, they when when Micah was going off and doing his own thing, Nikki and um, and Dana, they grew even closer. And so they were all three of them were generally there for each other through everything. Mm-hmm. So that was but not through painting the house. No. Yeah. Sorry. I got <laughs> on a tangent. He's back at home. He's supposed to paint the house because he has nothing else to do. He's getting so bored and so mopey that at dinner one night, his mom can't stand it anymore. And she's like, well, why don't you just write a book? And And he'd never thought of it before. I mean, he read a lot. Yeah, he reads a lot at this point. Him and his mom, that's what they do. They read. Yeah, but he was like, I I don't know. I guess I'll try that. So during the summer, he wrote a almost 300-page horror novel because he grew up watching scary movies with his dad. So that was like what he thought he was really into. Yeah. And- like, why do, he writes three hundred pages in one summer? That's, I can I can barely do that in a year. How many words? See, I don't like pages. I don't know how many words a page is. Uh, that's a good question. Because I I well, focus typewriter. on words. So like a full sheet of paper, basically. All right, keep talking. I'm gonna that's look pretty this up. long. I feel like. All right, so I've looked it up. Uh, it says here, according to Google, it's 500 words per page, single-spaced. Which is 150,000 words. 
150,000 words? That's really freaking long. That's really long. My book right now, my first book that I've been working on is probably around 100,000-ish, and I've been working on it for almost seven years. Dang. Hopefully he was double-spacing it on that typewriter. Yeah, if that's the case, then it cuts it in (laughs) half, and it's about 75,000, right? That's still pretty long, especially for someone who's never written a book before. So he he was like very proud of himself, but he knew even then. He was like, eh, this is not like a publishable book but still a cool summer project i would i would say that that the way that he explained it in his memoir that view comes from retrospect because i do the exact same thing i wrote a comic book that ended up being thirty-five thousand words long so i wanted to make it into a novel it's the reason why i started writing books and i thought it was the greatest thing i was so proud of myself for finishing it i thought it was so great now looking back at it i can justifiably say it is a piece of shit (laughs) but if i was to say that like i could not admit that back then because i was so proud of myself for even finishing it so i think that's something that a lot of writers do where like they'll finish a piece and then years later they'll be like yeah it was just it was the first thing i wrote it was awful but you got to take that first step you have to write just to write for yourself the first time don't write because you think you're going to be this famous author Write so that you can gain the experience and that joy of going, I wrote a book. And if you find that you fall in love with it, keep following that. Right. And I think, like, even then, he did not think he was going to become a writer as a career. Uh, no, you didn't think he had that I don't think he. I don't think he thought about it then. I okay. think it was later that people were like, hey, remember, like, how you used to write? Like, yeah. you should try doing that again. Yeah. Um, so he goes back to school and, and goes through that pattern of like, he was getting, um, cortisol injections. Is that what you get to try to like keep your Achilles tendon from flaring up? I don't know. He was getting those a lot so that he could try to like limp through the season. Basically he did, um, like set some personal bests or something. He, he did pretty well. Um, I know I thought this was during the summer, but yeah, at one point he finished out a season and he literally couldn't walk. Yeah. And I think that was toward the end of his junior year and then he had to. Like he was done. Towel. Yeah, he, was, he couldn't. He had to. He went home for the summer, uh, in crutches mm-hmm. because he literally could not walk on his foot. Yeah, and um, I think that was one of his like better moments with his dad because he was talking with his dad about it. He's like, I, I can't do this anymore, and his dad's like, you know, I'm really proud that you tried. Most people like don't even try in their lives. Yeah. Uh, you really gave it your all. Yeah. Um, and that's what really matters. Which yeah, is, like, exactly. A nice moment for the forgotten middle child. It, yeah, it was. And this is something where we kind of skipped over it. when when they entered high school. It, it happened most um, obviously with Micah because Micah was going out and partying so hard and he was getting in so much trouble that the mom eventually she's like she went into the dad's office when he's in there working and she's like i raised him this far your it's your turn basically and that's what happened he basically took over raising them his way which was usually more like therapy than being a dad <laughs> and still like pretty hands off he pretty he much gave them like three, three basic rules. rules uh it's uh don't don't drink and drive don't get a girl pregnant and be home by curfew. Freshman year, it's like eleven midnight. I think. Oh, which was it midnight? Very late to me. For right? yeah, for a fucking freshman, that's I. I had to be in bed by ten thirty when I was basically all through high school. I think there was some leeway my senior year, but basically ten thirty was my bedtime. But Nicholas kind of like explained that as like 
they had no rules up until that point. So his parents like couldn't put in hardcore right. rules then, or it would right. seem like they're trying to take away the freedom that they already they already have. have yeah. And so like he and so yeah, it's twelve o'clock midnight on in freshman year, and then thirty minutes extra for each year in high school. So basically, by senior year, you can be home by two o'clock in the morning. Um, and he said Micah followed those rules and only, only those, those rules. rules. <laughs> um, and and but even then, like when they had to deal with something, when they were going st- through stuff, they'd go into their dad's office and just sit there and and talk and vent. And he was really good at listening. He wasn't he wasn't he didn't offer advice a lot. Only when they asked him, and he just kind of listened to them and and asked questions to help them figure things out on their own. Um, and so that honestly, when I heard that, I was like, that's kind of exactly what I want to be like as a dad (laughs) is to help my kids work through their issues because I didn't have a dad like that. He was more like, you got to do this to fix it. And if you don't, you're in trouble sort of thing. Like, so (laughs) I want to help my kids, you know, work through their shit. Um, and so now we get into the college and, and he's, he's basically realized like, I have to give up on being a a track star. I'm not going to do it anymore. And his dad is willing to come next to him and say, you did a good job, though. Yep. Like, you gave it everything you had, and most people don't even try. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and I think it probably meant a lot to him. Yeah. So, going through senior year, uh, he he met someone very important during spring break of his senior year. Mm. Um I kind of liked their like meeting story. It was very Nicholas Sparksy. Yeah, was it? Um, so he and his friends were like at a hotel, basically, and these three girls that they thought were hot were like, "Yo, like we can't check in yet. Can we use your guys' bathroom?" And so they all go up to the hotel room, and then they they get their numbers, and they all go out the next night. Mm-hmm. And he's dancing with Kathy, who th- he thinks is just like this total bombshell. Yeah. Um, and he told her something like. I'm going to marry you one day. Like, there was while a, they're dancing. Even then, there was a smaller hit to his self-confidence because he had met her the night before. And she didn't remember and him. And then the, the next night when they all went out, she's like, hey, I'm Kathy. Good to meet you. And he's like, we met last <laughs> night. What the fuck? And then he tells her he's going to marry her. And she just, like, laughed. Yeah. But, spoiler alert. They get married. They get married. Yep. So, um, she was going to, like, some school in New Hampshire or something, so they, like, wrote letters for the rest of senior year mm-hmm. um he graduated this is 1988 now with a business degree his original plan was to go to law school after that but he didn't get accepted anywhere so. yeah bummer too bad so um he moved back to sacramento and like took a bunch of odd jobs including waiting tables um and then went into like real estate appraisal uh and he and micah bought a couple rental houses and fixed them up from all those like high school carpentry skills they mm-hmm. they learned um and and Kathy at some point came out there with him and he said this later in the book so like not when they were originally right. getting together but um she i guess she told him when she was moving out there she's like i'm not going to move across the country from my family for a temporary relationship so if you don't propose to me in 6 months i'm, I'm leaving out. yeah <laughs> which is wild i mean but she knew what she wanted <laughs> yeah sometimes you just got to be honest like that yes. ultimatums are not always the best option but i mean so he proposed to her in like October of 88. So this is like six months after they met and they yeah. spent most of the time like letter writing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they got married the next summer in New Hampshire at the Catholic church that she had attended. So mm-hmm. with mostly her family there, um, they honeymooned and it was like Billy, Billy Mills who like paid for their honeymoon. Right. I didn't hear about that. I, I didn't know. He got 
either that or some other elaborate like very expensive uh wedding gift so he's still super good friends with uh the mills family uh and then somewhere in here he also wrote his second murder mystery again these two books never published well maybe after he dies they'll get published i really want to know what a nicholas sparks murder mystery but i think it's him finding his voice it's him finding out what he wants to really write and it's not that it's not that (laughs) it ain't that um and then at one point in his career, he started, like, his own orthopedic products manufacturing company, which seems like a very weird choice. And I don't think he really explained why he, he did didn't that. ever explain it. In fact, he only really explained, like, I didn't even realize what he was doing until he was talking about it towards the end of doing it. He's like, yeah, we made, like, these wrist things for uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. And that's it. So obviously it was not that important to him other than the fact that he was running his business. His business. It didn't make a lot of money though. Yeah. Uh, eventually he sold it and went into pharmaceutical sales. Which, which he did do well at. Yeah. But doesn't sound like the super uh, creatively stimulating career that one would expect. You never know. I'm an electrician and I'm writing fantasy. True. You know, like I do what I do so I can take care of my family. Uh, I don't do it because it's glamorous. <laughs> Um, and then around this time was when the first real tragedy just yeah the, their family. this is when things this is when the roller coaster starts yeah up until this point he's going up the roller coaster just climbing it getting married going to school starting a business him and his brother are doing well doing a bunch of stuff um and then yeah and then he now it's the peak so while all of you know the children have been growing up uh, his mom and dad finally got into like a better financial situation. His mom was able to buy a couple of horses, which yeah. she'd always wanted because she grew up with horses. Yeah. So his parents are doing great. Their relationship is like the best the, it's yeah, ever been. There's there's a point where they separated when they were kids and then they got back together. And he even talked about how even when they're back together, they weren't really public with their affections for each other. Like he would sometimes see his dad like kiss the back of his mom's neck in like secret times when they didn't think the parents were or when the, the kids, kids were watching um and so like they their relationship was really strained a lot and especially from finances and but it was getting better and better to the point where they he ended up buying her a horse and then buying a second horse because she wanted him to ride with her yeah which he, he's like my dad was not the sort of person that would want to ride a horse ever but because he loved her so much he did and they would go riding all together yeah all the time together so and that ended up being what killed his mom yeah they were on like he described it as like the most normal horseback ride ever yeah nothing apparent went wrong but for some reason her horse stumbled uh and she ended up like getting a cerebral hemorrhage yeah, or something hemorrhage. uh in that um and so like they rushed her to the hospital and i think all of the kids made it there he and Micah for sure made it. Micah was coming back from Mexico. Yeah. And so he was trying to get there. And then Dana made it just in time, uh, like an hour after Micah did. But uh, yeah, um, Nick was the one that was there first. Actually, it was his friend that was there first yeah. who found them and got them to the hospital um, or got the horses back or some, yeah. something. Uh, and then she they went in to go see her. Um, her face was all swelled up because of all the drugs that they had her on. So they didn't even really recognize her. They were like, look at her hands. That's how you can recognize her is her hands. And so each of them broke down every single time they would come into the hospital. They'd go see her 
and like Dana hit her the worst because she she and her mom were like best friends. She wanted to be just like her mom. All Dana would say like all the time, like all I want out of life is to be married, have kids, and have a horse, just like mom. Right? Like that's that was her goal in life. And so now her mom, her best friend, is dying. Yeah. Um, it was really sad. It hit like I was driving I was stuck in traffic. <laughs> And I was like, while I was driving home, I was stuck in traffic, but I didn't see or experience traffic at all because I was listening to this. And because it was like, it was heart wrenching. Just the story of having to one day your mom is there and the next day he's gone or it she's was gone. So sudden. Yeah. And, yeah. And she was 47 then. 47 years yeah. old. That's yeah. insane. So this like very dramatically changed their, their family. Like everybody yeah. was dealing with with it in their own way their dad was i mean obviously affected the most yeah um so like right after it his dad kind of like treated micah the older brother like a confidant yeah talked to him all the time he took care of dana because she's the baby even though she's an adult now um and for some reason he lashed out at nick all the time he was like so mean to him he would only talk to kathy on the phone right uh and when kathy would try to give give him to nick he'd be like oh i don't want to talk to him right uh so yeah that was like that's a horrible thing to have happen when you're like on 22 23 now your and mom dies and your mom dad dies. hates you for it basically yeah even though he had nothing to do with it he right. just had all this anger and yeah he's like oh middle child well and this is the beginning of what we'll see is there's there's a lot of mental instability with his dad and this is really i think something broke in his right. dad when his mom died or how he put it his mom was the thing that kind of reigned in his mental instability and they didn't have to deal with it as much because the mom was the the scapegoat for it mm-hmm. so once the mom was gone there was no the dam broke yeah and now nikki became the the scapegoat for everything right and he's dealing with his own shit during this. So yep. uh, Kathy gets pregnant for the first time and they're like super excited. So they've, they've gone down the roller yeah. coaster. Now they're coming, coming right, right back, back up, up, getting preggers. She's she's like throwing herself into it. She's doing eating right, exercising right, all yeah. of that. They tell everybody. Mm-hmm. And then she has a miscarriage. And they go right back, right back down, down that roller coaster. So, I mean, it's basically like that for his entire life. So he has his like first published book somewhere in here uh, which he co-writes with billy mills it's Mm -hmm. called wokini a lakota journey to happiness and self-understanding um it's like an allegorical story so it's not like a biography about billy mills or anything uh it's kind of the story about traditional native american beliefs because mills um was oglala sioux i think was the the tribe he came from sure um so it kind of like talks about on it's it's an allegory uh and and very much like follows a native american tradition yeah combined with some modern principles so that was published in 1990 uh, and that's like he only gets that break because he's friends with mills basically right yeah he's done some writing so mills has seen it or knows that he's a writer and then he's like oh i want to write a book so nick will help me out yeah and so that's yeah that's it so that he gets but that's his, a like, good first... break you never know where you're gonna get a break right, right? i need to find my billy mills yeah um so then after that uh he and kathy get pregnant again mm-hmm. they like keep it Going a secret right back up on <laughs> until, the until four months in um and then their first son miles is born in 1991 which even then he there was some trouble with the with the birth like he was anemic um they were a little afraid for a few minutes after he you know was born like he might not make it 
Yeah. And, but then he ended up making it. Made it. So, yeah, even then, like, even in that happiness, there's still some right some terrifying moments and with their expanding family he starts he and kathy start thinking about maybe moving because california notoriously expensive even back then yeah uh they really want to start their family so they're they're planning this move across the country to new Bern, uh north carolina yep and like a few weeks basically before they're they're set to pack up and move dana has a, a grand mal seizure which is like the worst kind of seizure you can have um and originally doctors couldn't couldn't figure out what caused it at all. They ran right. all these tests, nothing. So they they finally send her back home, um, and Nick and Kathy keep like preparing for their move. And the the part that really broke my heart was, you know, she's sitting there in the hospital and everybody else is gone, and she had but she has Nicholas stay back, and because Nicholas is the smartest guy she knows, and he he knows all this stuff, he knows everything, right? Mm-hmm. He's been studying since he was a kid. That's what he was good at is knowing random shit, and she's like Nick. Why did I have this seizure? And he's like, there could be a lot of different reasons. Stress, you, you know, you, allergies can sometimes ca- cause these things. You know, a, a brain tumor can do it. You know, di- moving to different altitudes, like, and even in writing it, he did it super well of like throwing it in there, but like covering it up with other stuff that's not that big a deal. Like, just, yeah. it's just stress probably. And then, but then she zeroed in. She's like, I don't want to have a brain tumor. And he's like, you won't. You won't yeah. have a brain tumor. You there's you'll probably not have a brain tumor. There's so many other things that could do this. But sure enough, it's exactly what it is. It's exactly that. So she finally gets diagnosed with a brain tumor, um, and she had most of it removed, but it was like three different in her in her brain to a, a point where they couldn't take all of it out without damaging her brain permanently. Sure. Um, so they have it biopsied, and it has three different types three of cancer different cells. different types, yeah. Including one that had only a 2% survival rate at five years out. Yeah. And Dana is 26 at this point. Yeah. Which, like, reading that, it terrified me. She's, like, barely older than me. Yeah. And has a brain tumor that is probably going to kill her. Before she's 30 years Before old. Before she's 30 years old. Yep. Um, so basically that happens, mm-hmm. and I, Nicholas, like, was really having a hard time with moving after yeah that. he's getting ready to leave his whole family and just go off and, yeah. and have his his own little family while this is happening and i think micah was really the one who who talked him into it he's like you know there's there's nothing you can do for her right here like you've got your own family you, you need to do, do what's this. best for your family so go and even then the heartbreaking scene of him leaving Micah, the last day that he's there before he leaves for the airport, and Micah's like just standing there, and then he's like, "Oh, you're wearing my shorts, Micah." And he's like, "Oh, I'll get them to you tomorrow." And then he stops. He's like, "No, you'll be gone." And then they be both gone. just start crying because they both realize they're not gonna see each other. Like this is the first time that they're really gonna be apart. Yeah, for an indefinite yeah. amount of time. And and so they. They just like I don't know that that hit me. Plus, on top of it, you know, now Dana's dealing with stuff, and then like we're about to get into their dad just falls apart. Just yeah, like before something broke, now it is shattered. Yeah, he just like can't. There were were so many things going on with him. Like he he got into this relationship with like a married lady. Yeah, she basically took all his money yeah. and then like left him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, also, and and sorry. With the with Dana, they started the process of getting her on anti seizure medication. Yeah. Because of the tumors, which because of that they 
they made they said basically she can't be pregnant while she's on this medication because it can lead to birth defects. And that was one of the three things. One of the that three she things: be life. married, have kids, and have a horse. She now will never be a mother, according to what the doctors are saying. Yeah. So, and Dana is like impossibly positive the whole time yeah like she she never lets her her smile falter um so she she's going through that dad's completely losing his shit yeah uh yeah just being horribly mean to everyone at one point he like kicks dana out yeah because she well so i i feel like that's skipping ahead a little bit because that's after she gets pregnant Okay, yeah. So she ends up with a guy named Bob or some Bob. random name. <laughs> uh, Bob's Burgers. Um, she ends up with a guy named Bob, and they end up um, getting pregnant, and she she's excited. But she doesn't tell Bob because they, like, right. broke she, up right she, after that. They break up. <laughs> she's with Bob. They break up because the stress of her going through chemo and all of this, like, it's just too much on their relationship. They break up, but she finds out she's pregnant and tells everyone. She's all excited. On top of that, she's pregnant with twins. So so she's like, I'm not taking my seizure medication anymore because I'm going to have these babies because that's what I want out of life, which I think is a strong opinion to have. She wants to have kids, even if it kills her. Like, that's that's what she wanted out of life, man. I don't think I could not do that thinking that I was only going to live five more years, though. But, like, I guess the, the question is, what are you living for, then? If her if her goal in life is to be a mom, and she's not allowed to be a mom so that so she can live, how, how do you make that choice? Why would you want to be alive? If you're, if you're going to be alive, you might as well do the thing that you, the one thing you want out of life and be a mom. Yeah. It's a but moral conundrum. It's I, I so wouldn't do it because I couldn't leave a couple of four year olds without yeah. a parent. <laughs> yeah. That's and that sucks because yeah, there is a Get point a where it's like you're gonna you're you're gonna die from this. Well, like, and especially with her not being with Bob at that point too. Yeah. Like that has gotta be so stressful. So she ends up telling him right before she gives birth to these kids. Um, and then after they're born and she's been a single mom living. Yeah. So then her dad kicks her out for being preggers and his own shit. He kicks her out and she's living in someone's extra room while she's pregnant and going through cancer stuff. Uh, she gives birth and then eventually they make up Bob and Dana because, you know, Bob wanted to be a good dad and provide for his children so she got that at least kind of figured out yes um but in this time let's go away from all the bad shit that's happening in nicholas sparks's life because there's also good stuff happening right uh yeah his second son ryan is born in 93 yep um and then like right around that time 93 94 he starts writing the notebook the notebook which he writes over the course of just six months uh, he was inspired by the story of Kathy's grandparents. Yeah. The notebook for like the two people in the world who haven't uh, Me. seen I it. I haven't seen Just it or you. read it. Yeah. It's a it's a story about two two young people who fall in love. One of them's poor, one of them's rich, and their family tears them apart. And then they find each other later. And then, spoiler alert, Alzheimer's. Uh. <laughs> so I, I guess that was the love story of, of Kathy's grandparents. So he writes this book. He's 28 years old at the time. Um, they also like had another move to South Carolina. Um, and during that time he started soliciting agents. He sent out 25, uh, query letters and only one person was interested. 
Mm. Um, so sounds like he got lucky. He he got pretty lucky. I mean, I feel like twenty five query letters it's not that not many. A lot. It's not, not a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so his agent starts like. She puts it out there. I think he said on like a Thursday or a Friday to publishing houses. On Monday, he has a voicemail from her like, call me right now. Yeah. Because he got offered a $1 million advance from like Warner Books or yep. something. Yep. Which, that's insane. Yeah. Nobody gets that kind of money. Yeah. What the fuck, man? And that's his first book. I mean, that's that's what like uh, what Stephen King talked about in his book where he wrote Carrie and there and eventually they sold Carrie for trade paperback uh contracts and he made well the the contract was ended up being for like in our money today about 3 million dollars of course he only saw a portion of that because the publisher took majority of it but still he made a shit ton of money off of his first book. That's exactly what we're looking at yeah, here. That like doesn't happen anymore. Like right. authors now are lucky if they get like a few thousand dollars yeah, yeah. like ten thousand even like, yeah especially it's not much. especially now with like vanity presses and self-publishing getting a contract from uh, a big publishing house that's going to offer you a shit ton of money that's just absolutely unheard of yeah for your first book so he gets offered this this one million dollars like a few months before his 30th birthday and that was like a thing he and micah had like micah wanted to be a millionaire by 35 yeah and nikki was like oh i'm gonna do it by 30 yeah so he he won that one yeah uh and he didn't spend any of it he didn't spend any of it no he said Uh, he put it they put it into savings and then he just kept working his job oh my god could you imagine having a one million (laughs) dollar savings account (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is no. Like, it's insane. Like, oh, yeah, we got some savings. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's doing great. He, he's going to get this book published. He's he's a millionaire. And then shit hits the fan again. So around <sighs> yeah, this time. this roller coaster, oh, man. God, it's so exhausting. It is. They start realizing that their second son, Ryan, he he hasn't been talking at all. He's getting close to, like, two years old two at years this old. point. Yeah. Um. And so the doctors, they just start doing like eight months straight of test after test after test. Yeah. They think all these things are like, uh, they thought he had autism a lot of the time. Yeah. Then they were like, oh, maybe he's like partially deaf or yeah. like all the way deaf. And then uh, Kathy, she's like, well, he like looks when like when I turn the, the vacuum off. Oh, the air conditioner. Yeah. And they're like, oh, oh I guess he he's does? not deaf then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let me do more tests. Oh, he's just mentally retarded. Yeah. And they're like, no, he's not mentally retarded. He knows stuff. He learns stuff. And then it, I don't remember what it actually ended up being. I mean, I don't think they even know what it actually was. I think the last diagnosis was something that's like dyslexia, but with sounds. Mm. Um, because I, they were like, okay, he's not deaf, but he's not like imitating sounds. So yeah. they're having all of these troubles. Um, and, and Nikki really took it on himself to help his son. Yeah, I think at this point he's working on another book and... He feels like, okay, this can make us some money. So he feels comfortable enough to quit his job. And it all happens after he, like, so, yeah, there's there's so much happening right it's now. So, much, like, so I guess the next thing that happens chronologically is uh, he reconciled with his dad just in yes, time for his the dad. CBS uh, crew is, like, at his house oh, doing man. an interview when he gets a phone call from his brother. Yeah. That his dad died in a car accident near Reno. Yep. So like, he, as a camera crew do, is they're filming They're doing a him. full documentary on him 
and the life of him because he's a writer and he's a best-selling author out of nowhere. Yeah. And they've got camera crews set up in his home and he's in an interview talking to the cameras when his wife interrupts and goes, hey, your brother's on the phone. And while he's on the phone, the cameras are watching him on the... On film, you you he talks. He's like, I I listened to my brother tell me that my dad was dead, and then I heard the cameras turn off. Yep. And then he's like, and then the camera crew they just, just kind of like left. Out. Yeah, silently. And he's like, later I was able to talk to the reporter, and he said that he'd bury the footage of that because that wasn't necessary. <laughs> like, how would how do you feel as you're a reporter? How do you feel about a situation like that? I would like. I can't even imagine being in someone's house when something like that happened. Like, because you're there for such a do? good reason. You're yeah. there for such a not a, happy a fluff piece. piece, but yeah, like a happy piece. The of making like, of a bestseller is what the segment was going to be yeah. called or was called. And and you're there, and you just watch this guy who is your subject of your whole documentary just learn that his dad died. And there's not a part of you as a reporter that goes, "Oh, this is gold. We're going to well, use yeah, this." Yeah, and I think the like. Nicholas knew it was gold. The reporter knew it was gold, but like, but the reporter had a moral standing. Yeah, and was like, yeah, I won't show you crying because you just found out your dad died. Like, oh my god, I hope that never happens when I'm interviewing someone. Yeah, man. Um. So So yeah, his dad dies. Dana's still dealing with her cancer and shit. Um, and now they're finding out that their son is some sort of autistic. That's where I landed on it was basically like. That seems plausible. Right. And, and if I'm wrong, I'm very, I'm not demeaning autistic people. I'm not demeaning anything that his son was, but just, I've known a lot of autistic people throughout my life and I know what high functioning and low functioning looks like. And from everything that he described, I I would, as a non-certified person, I'd be like, that person seems autistic. We are not psychiatrists. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the notebook comes out during the time, 96, spends mm-hmm. more than a year on the New York Times bestsellers list. Career's going great. Yeah. He, so that's when he quits his pharmaceuticals job yes. to write full time and spend like eight hours a day basically working with, with Ryan. His, yeah. He... he Described like sitting with Ryan for six hours, six hours, just trying to make him say the word apple. Yep. Like, and yep. Ryan was screaming. He was like clawing at his skin, pounding yeah. his fist. Finally, got him to say apple. Yeah, it was. It's a big deal. Like I was saying earlier, I think he's finally figured out he can. He's comfortable with quitting his day job and doing writing full time. But part of that decision came from when his his wife needed a break. She needed to get out because she spent so much time with ryan and uh and miles their first son and she didn't do anything else um and even at like there's just there's a whole story of of uh ryan at their dad's funeral uh talking with micah and it's the first time they ever saw him laugh Mm. ever was when he's with uncle micah which is just great but there's so much stress on kathy she goes to hawaii by herself and then they get into a huge fight over the phone to the point where she she helps Nicholas realize how much stress is on her. Um, and like he's like, I've been dealing with my book and Dana and my dad and Micah and Ryan. And and all the while, Kathy has only been solely focused on just Ryan because that's all she can focus on. And so he realized, like, I need to help her. So he quits his job and and he and he swears an oath to her that he will uh, cure their son, right? Which I'm like, oh man, 
<laughs> You're playing with fire. Yeah, for realsies. That's not a good oath to make. But that's what drives him to sit there for six hours with his son, holding out a piece of candy and saying the word and an apple and showing him. And he says the word apple, apple, apple for six hours. And his son at first is bored, but then gets angry. And then after a while, he can start saying, ah, ah, and then ah. App. And then after six hours, he says the word apple and and he started cr- and Nicholas starts crying because he realized my son can learn. Mm-hmm. My son has a foundation for understanding something. And uh, he taught his son how to say I love you. Called up Kathy over the phone and the first words at four years old that she heard from her son ever was I love you. Like. That's such like, yeah, he's not going to cure autism, but he's going to make the family dynamic better. Right. And he puts in the work. And that was like, I almost started crying right there because that was beautiful. The work that he put in for that. He he and even more than that, he made sure that Miles didn't feel left out either. Right. Because he remembered what it was like growing up when it seemed like his parents were paying all their attention to Micah and Dana. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Even though Ryan needs more help, like I'm not going to let Miles feel that way. So he's spending eight hours a day working with Ryan and then also making sure to do stuff that Miles likes. Yeah. He's just like trying to super dad it all the way. And he, but, and he's being successful for the most part. I mean, he's helping, he's helping Ryan learn how to talk. And their main goal was to like get him to that point where he could start kindergarten with all of his peers. Yeah. And and they did it. Yeah. Like, uh, I think he was obviously different than all of his peers but sure uh, the way he described it like they they got along with him like he wasn't an outcast right he had had issues socializing like he could talk forever about the things he liked but couldn't do banter or like ask people about their interests which again kind of indicative of autism Mm -hmm. um but i mean it turned out so much better than their worst fears when they originally and it's because of the work yeah that he put into his his son and his learning disability, because that's eventually, that's really what it is. So that was, I don't know. And that's about where I stopped, because I had I got caught up <laughs> in so much other stuff around here in the studio. Uh, the last thing I heard was that Dana's cancer came back. Right. So um, uh, he has his success with Ryan. Um, they He's moved at back, the top of the fucking roller coaster They moved back to again. New Bern, which uh. I think is where he still lives to this day, so... That was in 97. They moved back and um, he, he finished his second novel, Message in a Bottle. Siblings both got engaged. Everybody's mm-hmm. doing great. Yeah. Right before the, the five year mark, Dana has another seizure while she's on her honeymoon. And the doctors did a scan and saw that her brain tumor started growing again. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Nicholas, he, he I realized after reading this how much he weaves his life into his books. Yeah. Uh, or other people's lives. Um, so he's writing A Walk to Remember, which I think a lot of people like. That's their favorite Nicholas Sparks movie. I have not seen this one. Um, I didn't realize that that was a Nicholas Sparks movie. Really? No, no. Oh, I haven't I haven't seen that. It's uh, the one with uh, Mandy Moore, right? Yeah. Okay. So he based the main character, Jamie, on Dana and like dedicated the book to his parents and siblings. Dana refused to read it because she didn't want to know how it ended, which is like oh, so no. sad to me. Spoiler yeah. alert. The girl dies in she a walk to remember. I don't <laughs> she think has it's, cancer. It's been out for like 20 years, so yeah. if you didn't know that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just heartbreaking to me. Um, in in 99, 
the siblings come out to L.A. Uh, to watch the movie premiere of Message in a Bottle. Dana gets to meet all the stars. I have no idea what that one is even. I don't. I don't. I haven't seen that one actually. I think it had a uh, Robin Wright in it. Okay. The Princess Bride lady. Princess um, <laughs> Bride lady. I know who Robin Wright is. Okay, I was just making sure. When they when they come out on that trip though, uh, they arrange for Dana to go to like one of the top, uh, like brain tumor doctors, uh, mm-hmm. in the country to get a second opinion basically, and it's not it's not really good. No. Um. So I mean. A happy time because she gets to go out there for her brother's movie premiere. Sad time because it does not look good for her health-wise. It's got Kevin Costner in it. Kevin Costner. She got to meet Kevin Costner and yeah. Robin Wright. They were very nice to her, according to, to Nicholas. <laughs> um, and then, happy times again, his third son, Landon, is born January 11th, 2000. Um, but he's a frog. <laughs> and he- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There has I don't to think be there's something. a plot twist with Landon. No, there's no plot twist. <laughs> Not that I know of. So at this time, Sparks, having gotten, or Nicholas, I don't know why I keep going back and forth. Nikki. I keep calling him <laughs> Nikki and Nicholas. It's fine. So he he has had, he has heard from the doctor that Dana basically has six months to live tops. Yeah. Nobody told Dana this. because they What? Do- the doctor said the only reason she's been doing as well as she has is because she's so positive and optimistic. She like really thinks she's going to make it. Nobody tells Dana she's got six months to live. He starts flying out to California every two weeks. So four days out of every two weeks, he yeah. is in California, even though he's got three kids now, three including ki- yeah. a newborn, basically. Yeah. Um, so he is just back and forth. He wants to spend as much time with Dana as he can. And because she doesn't, he doesn't want to stress her out. So he makes up excuses like I got to come out for a meeting or I'm visiting friends or something like that. So she doesn't know the real reason he's spending so much time with her. Hmm. That's fucked up. Yeah. That's fucked up. My, oh, man, this, my biggest fear in life, right, is, and I've told this to a lot of people and I get told all the time that this is ridiculous. My biggest fear in life is that I'm mentally challenged somehow and nobody's nice or everybody's too nice to tell me, right? And it's it's a deeper fear than that, right? It, that's just like surface level what it is. Really, the deep fear is that I'm... I don't know myself as well as everybody else does that. I'm like the butt of a joke or that there's something about me that I just, I can't register it, but everybody else, it's very obvious, right? That's the deep fear. So what she's going through literally is my fear coming true. Except that she's dying. Except that she's dying. It's even worse because I have to live with whatever it is. She's literally dying and nobody will tell her. Nobody will tell her. Like, that would that pisses me off just me just as a my personal things well coincidentally uh your biggest fear is also mine is it Uh, yeah and my sisters so we're all very afraid of being mentally challenged (laughs) challenged and nobody's nobody's telling us yeah everyone's too nice i feel better now that i know other people somebody else exists for yeah we'll start a group everybody who who is who has that fear you can hit us up so yeah this is around the part in the memoir where i just like started crying and i was like i did not expect to cry at a memoir yeah like i cried all the nicholas sparks movies but (laughs) like that that stuff's not real instead i'm like watching him like describe those last few weeks or months with with his sister and i'm just like did she catch on at some point or did she just give out I mean, she got like significantly worse toward the end. So, yeah. like at some point, she realized. I'm like, not I, I think there was a scene with her and Micah like walking out of a doctor appointment when the doctor was like, "We're not going to do any more medications." Like, 
Mm. No more. And she was just like sitting there with her brother and she's like, this is this is it, isn't it? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. So, <sighs> which is, I mean, these these kids are so close to each other. Like all all her brothers want to do is take care of her. She's she's the good one. Yeah. She's the girl. And they can't she's the girl. And they can't do anything for her. So yeah. She ended up going into a coma on her twin son's sixth birthday. Ugh, that's and then sad. died three days later at age thirty three. Here's here's a small little thing, and it's interesting to me because it is so sad. But it is also exactly like what their mom did to them when their dog died. Because they had a dog for a long time, and when it died, Nick came home from college or something at that time and was able to just sit with him, her, and, and like, just kind of enjoy being with her. But he even said, like, at that point, we saw her. When I saw her, she was, like, skin and bones. She had no hair on her tail at all. Like, you could see she was at death's door. And I just sat with her, and I just reminded her of the good times. You know, like, I know what that's like to have a dog that you just absolutely love. And then the next day she died, right? And every everyone told Nick, like, oh, man, she was waiting for you to come home. She was just trying. She was just waiting, right? And Micah and Dana and him all believed that she made it till he got home and then died. Turns out the mom waited till Nick got home. Then the next morning at, like, 5 in the morning, took the dog and put him down and then brought her back and put her in, like, the living room so that the kids would think, oh, she just died in her sleep. They didn't want her to know or she didn't want them to know that she had gone and put her down. Right. So, like, there is a chain of, like, people, very important information being kept from people in this family. <laughs> I Yeah, I wouldn't describe them as super functional <laughs> but they love each other but yeah and so they do it like they do it out of love and so like they're just seeing the just seeing that kind of how the pattern even with Dana where like she she was able to make it until her kid's birthday and then she just couldn't make it anymore you know like that's it's interesting how there's some some patterns in life like that right oh and one thing that I thought was like very touching after that was so they had that that um tradition that you mentioned earlier where every year on his birthday dana would like call and sing happy birthday yeah. to him because it was yeah. their birthday but she would do that for him so like his next birthday micah called him and sang happy birthday to him oh, that's picking good. up dana's tradition which i was just like oh my god i'm gonna <laughs> just ball my eyes out and so he again channels that into into his writing. He wrote um, the novel A Bend in the Road inspired by his brother-in-law, Bob. Mm. So it's about a widower with a child. Um, and he kind of goes on like a writing spree after that. He He's written a lot of books. Has he? Um, yeah, I think like 17. Wow. Might be closer to 20 now. Um, uh, and then in 2001, Kathy um, gets pregnant with twin girls now. So they got a big family. Yeah. He becomes like this master of scheduling. He's balancing his books and also trying to keep being super dad. He's coaching soccer, helping with homework, becomes like a Taekwondo black belt during this time too. Nice. He's just like doing it all. Yeah. He also reads a hundred books a year, which good Lord. Yeah. You were all excited about 52 yeah, books a 52. year. 52. I can't do shit. So, <laughs> but then he adds that he was sleeping less than five hours a night. So. Sure. Yeah. Spoiler alert, doing all of this is not healthy. So he what? he had a nervous breakdown in August 2001. Um, 
And I think his wife, like, basically sent him off to the beach. She's like, spend a, a week or two at, at the beach house and don't yeah. don't take your work. Right. For Just God's go sake. Just go chill the fuck out. Just dude. go calm down. I think it helped a little bit, but he's still like, he, I think to this day, he's probably a little well okay. overworked. The, the thing that I would point out is the patterns again. Like, look at his dad. Uh, mental illness runs in families and um, stuff like that can happen where like you can you can end up with a lot of it might not be the exact same thing but once something's broken a little bit it's there's a crack and it's only going to grow and the best you can do is contain it for as much as you can for as long as possible but something's going to give yeah it's kind of that that same diligence that he had that helped him be good at track in high yep. school and college yep now he's throwing it he, into his work and he, family yeah he worked so hard on track he almost ki- broke his foot off right and then like and then he starts doing his other work. He he worked so hard on his son that, like, his son was almost ready to rip his skin off. But he was still determined, you know. And now he's putting everything he has into literature, writing, and reading. And something in his brain is just going to not – it's not going to click not the gonna right way. not going to do it anymore. So, so, yeah. So, his twin daughters are born. He, he spends a lot of time writing and touring in 2002. He's still really stressed up – or stressed out. And that's when – when basically the memoir begins because he gets this like brochure in the mail for this round the world trip. Yeah. And uh, his wife is like, you know, I can't go with you because I've got five children. Yeah. Um, but maybe maybe you can go with your brother. Right. And so that's kind of where this whole memoir came about. They, they do this trip together. And yeah. And, and he- you start to see all the stuff that his brother had been saying to him throughout. Like, you need to chill out. You need to just enjoy the process. And one of my favorite things that that his brother said was like, you're you're cheapening what this trip represents, because throughout the story, he talks like Nicholas talks about like, I'm too busy to enjoy going on the trip. The anticipation. Yeah, the anticipation. I can't enjoy it. Uh, And his brother's like, that's half of the fun is anticipating it. (laughs) Yeah. You have to enjoy the process of getting to that to it really enjoy the whole thing. And I loved that because I have a hard time with that. And not that I've had as big of, you know, dips and mountains and things like he has, but I have had my share of those sort of things. And anticipation, anticipation just leads to hope and hope just lets you down. And that's where I live. And I live a lot like what I think he's had to deal with in his life is like, I try not to get my hopes up for a lot of stuff because I know at the end of the day, I'm just going to get like let down. I've watched parents get divorced several times. I've watched people deal with different relational type things. I've, I've been excited about stuff that never happens. And, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen young lives lost before they even began. I've seen all kinds of, of bad in my life. And so it, it kind of, it makes you wary of the good because for me, I already know what that roller coaster is like. I know like I'm here now, but in a day and an hour next minute, I could be sailing all the way down to the bottom of the pit. And so I identify with where he's at like a lot. <laughs> and so that's why it hit me so hard of like anticipation is half the half the thing. And you have to learn to anticipate and enjoy the anticipation a little bit. Yeah, I think. I think he definitely uh, learns a lot from from Micah being yeah. more of the carefree one. Yeah. 
Yeah, yes. and it's really interesting in that. I, I would highly recommend that book, actually. I think it's, oh, yeah. it's a good, like, book about siblings and, and life. And also, if you like Nicholas Sparks, like, I, it's just interesting. I have not read a Nicholas Sparks book ever. The only movie I've watched is A Walk to Remember. I didn't know it was Nicholas Sparks You at the time. accidentally watched one. Um, I wouldn't have said no to it because it's Nicholas Sparks. The only one that I won't watch is The Notebook. And it's because I made an oath to my father when I was 12 years old. And much like Nicholas Sparks, when I make an oath, I stick to it. It's the only oath I ever but made the oath other you made than my was marriage. That you wouldn't let a girl make you watch it right exactly so you could still watch it someday like only if, you if decide i decide for to. me for you Which I, I would say the notebook i think is his best story yeah uh other than this yeah. one honestly this is a really this good is really story good. if you want uh just a good story of an author this is a good one um it, like i said i was disappointed because i didn't get to learn more about his writing process but he literally goes from being <laughs> dirt poor and never written a book to being a one million dollar selling book best author. <laughs> book I, best I know author. I made all of the wrong <laughs> all words, of the but, words. <laughs> but like that's it. It's frustrating because I like getting into their process. But the book was three weeks with my brother, not three weeks with writing the notebook. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Maybe someday he'll write a, a book about writing. So you do have one more thing on here, which I'm yeah. interested in. So the. The memoir ends around 2002. Right. So, and he's still alive, which yes. is nice. We don't have to end this episode yeah, with like, like he's yeah, dead. <laughs> final thing, he died. But the final thing I'm going to end with is I don't believe in love anymore because Nicholas Sparks and his wife got divorced in like 2015. Did they? Did, did you find out why? No, because it, it's just like a little entry on his, on his bio or oh. whatever. Yeah. I think I slightly remember hearing about that once, like yeah. on, in the gossip columns it sucks or whatever. Too. I mean, and. Yeah, because he wrote so much about loving his wife in this book. It's really hard to go from this book of Three Weeks with My Brother and how much credit he gives her and, and all of this to, yeah, they, they ended up divorcing ended up 10 divorced. years later. And, like, like he's what? he seems like such a good guy, like a good father. He, I mean, it's his like, book. It's of his course book. he's going to sound like that. But, but, and he writes all these love stories. Like, come on, dude. And honestly, though, like, again, I don't know. I don't know where we're at after – even at the end of the book, because I, I didn't get that far. But I it's something that I kept thinking about while while listening and reading the book is mental illness can jump down in, in your genes. And who knows, there, with him having a mental breakdown and that break, there can be something happening in him, and it just kind of affects his marriage. Kathy, write to us. Tell yeah, us what happened. Yeah, let us know. We'll do a correspondence episode. <laughs> yeah. <with> and then <laughs> Nicholas will write an, his next bestseller about your guys' relationship falling Here, here's apart. Here's an idea. Uh, you, Nick, just write uh, about a podcaster who <laughs> has a girlfriend since he was in high school, and then they get married, and they're perfectly happy, <laughs> and his podcast makes a million dollars. That seems like totally the opposite of every uh, Nicholas Sparks I know, book. right? The formula, it's, there's got to be tragedy. I had to go away for a few years to go to college. That, that was pretty tragic. Doesn't count. Damn it. Uh, there's like an 80% chance somebody has to die at the end, too. Or both people. Hey, if I have to die at the end of, I mean, we're all going to die at the end of our stories, right? True. Ooh, that was, that that, was philosophical right there. Yeah. A little dark. Let's all just be clear that Nicholas Sparks is still alive, so this is not a depressing end to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's end this long-ass episode about 
people's love lives. It's not about their love lives. I just nah. I was trying to make a joke about the notebook. Love. Everybody watch the notebook this weekend. Or don't. Or the best of me, my or, favorite. Or just watch or listen to this book. This was a good book. It was a good I book. I recommend it for sure. It it was an easy read. Uh, uh, why don't you tease our next episode? Our next episode. What the hell are we talking about? Oh, oh that was the teaser. That was it. We're that was it hell. right there. We're talking about hell in a couple different books and how they compare. You're going to get good old Ty Ty the Bible guy to come back. Full force. I've been trying to limit it the last few episodes because I know I'm going to go full, full Ty Ty the Bible guy in the next one. So um, that'll be fun. I'm going to try and know what I'm talking about, too. I'm going to try and have sources for what I'm talking about. He'll sound like he knows what he's talking about. Uh, even if, if not, he I'll just make it up. In Second Hezekiah, they talk about, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but if you guys want to tell us your opinion of this book or Nicholas Sparks book or a future book that we might talk about, like Hell or something, uh, you guys can talk to us. Feel free to talk to us. We've gotten people to send in a couple of emails which has been so exciting to see from you guys um and if you have recommendations of something you want us to talk about please 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 let us know you can email us at uh, lewis and lovecraft at gmail.com you can go to facebook and talk to us at facebook.com slash lewis and lovecraft you can also and this is where we do most of our stuff is on instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft. We post pictures of ourselves sometimes, mostly books, sometimes just the studio, and generally just kind of giving you guys a look in, into what we're doing and stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, and, and also lewisandlovecraft.com. Go yeah. there. Check it out. We're on all the things. All the things. And as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. Uh, if, if you want to listen to more of his stuff, he has all sorts of genres uh, on his SoundCloud account, soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson, B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N. Don't forget to subscribe. If this is the first time you're listening to us, just go over to our page on whatever app you're at and press subscribe. That way you can know when we're going to do other stuff. And uh, we release, you know, some random stuff every once in a while. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Yes. We got a YouTube. Hannah's been doing such a good job with the YouTube. I do like, I've done like one video so far. But you're going to do more now. I'm, gonna, I'm very I'm going to do a Jonathan it. Strange, Mr. Norrell. So you yes. guys can keep an eye out for that. Yes, and um, while you're subscribing, you should also rate and review us, uh, especially on iTunes. I don't know. It's so easy. Seriously, I know you guys are probably listening to this while you drive or while you're working, and I totally get that. Stop for literally one minute. Just pull over. One minute, yeah. Just No, don't pull over. While the kids Maybe, are running across the freeway. If you're driving, we need to figure out how you can do this. <laughs> Tell Siri to leave a review for us. I don't know. Just set an alarm or something. Just take one minute out of your life. Write a review for us. You have no idea how much of a difference it makes. Seriously, it's huge. And the other hugest thing you can do is tell a friend. Stop whatever you're doing right now. No, I'm Stop joking. writing I'm your review that. and call a friend. Stop writing the review. Tell you No. Yeah. Uh, just tell a friend. It's it's the best way to spread the word. And, you know, you, you never know who's going to connect with what and um, I know a lot of us, a lot of people that I talk to when I explain our show, they're, sometimes they're just like, oh, that's interesting. But then when they listen to us, they're like, wow, it's so much better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so uh, just tell a friend. You never know who's going to be really changed by what you provide to them. And that's it. That's our show. Now you have to say something at the end 
that goes into our next episode. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and the fires of hell shall come for you. Yes, hellfire.